0: My guest today is the Chief Information Officer and Head of Strategic Alliances at a global management consulting firm. Please welcome Paul Faylor. Paul, how's it going? I'm
1: great. How about yourself?
0: Hey, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming
1: on to the podcast. Absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: Nice. All right. Well, hey, Paul, let's jump right into this. What do you do?
1: So, I am the chief information officer for a global consulting company. And my job is to try to find ways to make people more efficient and more effective using technology. And I know that's a very broad statement, but my focus is really making sure that my organization, we sell human capital. I need to make sure that those individuals are able to deliver a fantastic work product for our clients and they're able to do it in a way that that really makes their lives easier and hopefully better.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So more efficient, more effective, you're optimizing, automating, modifying, replacing different workflows and things of that nature in your business.
1: Exactly. And also trying to make sure that that our clients on the other end, that their experience is fantastic, whether it be how we coordinate a virtual workshop or what I'm doing behind the scenes to keep the cyber criminals out of our doors.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. You mentioned the clients. In addition to what you mentioned, are you also seen as the face basically of the technology side of your company to clients, to vendors, to counterparties, regulators, et cetera now? And and if so, is that something that you thought your job would be?
1: So when I was starting out in the field, I really was drawn to the consulting aspect. I Mm. liked the idea that I could be brought in, have a discrete problem to solve, solve it, and then move on to something else. I recognized, though, when I was working in the consulting space, that there wasn't always a ton of thought being brought to the technologies and tools that were given to the consultants to deliver the work. The focus was always on billable hours and ensuring that utilization was high, but not necessarily the tools and techniques that they had available to them to do their jobs. So when this opportunity came up, it was a great combination of still the consulting industry, which was a passion of mine but being able to focus on enhancing that technology experience. And to more directly answer your question, being the face, yes, of our internal technology stack, but also when I identify something that works great internally, if I find a new tool or a new technology, finding ways to bring those to our clients as well. So I probably spend roughly 80% of my time focused on internal technology efforts and researching what's going on in the technology landscape and then about 20% as a subject matter expert or strategist to other organizations who are in a similar situation.
0: Yeah, oh, okay, so that's interesting. It seems like you kind of have to predict the future of computer technology trends for your
1: company, given that. And and I will tell you that it has been a crazy ride over the past hmm. 13 months because the, te- the technology landscape has pretty drastically changed.
0: Right. No, I bet. And even before that too, I guess. So with all the new technologies that emerge all the time, can you just walk through dealing with that and how you're able to keep up with this ever-changing environment?
1: So fortunately in the technology world, and I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta has a really large technology community. So I have lots of peer groups that I just am always talking about the latest, greatest thing that we see as well as talking about common problems. So say I'm trying to figure out how to do a better virtual whiteboarding workshop. Presenting that question to some of my CIO peers and other technology colleagues and asking how they're solving it, it really gives you some perspective on what other similar organizations are doing and ways that they're solving those problems. Probably one of the the bigger challenges though is as all of these tech tools continue to evolve and continue to show up in the marketplace, you always have to worry about the security aspect. All right, Because while there's a lot of tools that pop up and they look like they might be the next great thing until they're larger and vetted and have the appropriate security requirements and controls in place, you know, you have to be a little bit cautious.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And now what you mentioning all the tools popping up, how do you choose between buying software or platforms and building it in-house?
1: So I'm somebody who, if somebody has already invented the wheel, I would rather not reinvent it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of organizations who just kind of get it and they're developing and putting out the right solutions to the right problems. So if I look in the marketplace and I only see one other person who's solved a particular use case, that might not be the right tool for me. But if I look out and I see that there's five different options that are in one particular space, there's probably going to be one that would be a better fit than something that I could build. Right. Now, what I will say is I get very excited about the Uber model of technology Mm. where you take a lot of pre-existing tools and techniques and you bring them together into one unified system. So, you know, Uber was just an intelligent wrapper put on top of Google Maps for the mapping data, GPS for the location data different payment methodologies they didn't have to build all that much they had to pull all the different aspects together
0: and so integrating them and making sure they're compatible exactly got it okay
1: and then you focus on the real differentiator which is the user experience Mm. because that's what's going to make or break any of these products especially on the consumer side
0: right okay and then internally, you talked about making it more um, efficient and effective, I guess internally and externally, but I- internally with that, I'm guessing a lot of that is automation. Do you ever get pushback on automating something too much, whether it's someone's kind of stuck in their ways or whether they, someone believes it might take away from their job? Do you ever All get right. pushback on that?
1: Exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. There's so much of what I do that people are fearful that I'm attempting to get rid of their job. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I've I've been in this particular role long enough where my peers and the people on my team have an understanding of what my mission is. I don't want anybody doing the exact same thing twice because there's, there's really no reason for you to, in this day in technology, if you're doing the exact same thing, that's time that you're spending that could be working on an actual value add task. So yes, I'm frequently met with resistance. Um, But I think that when you start giving people examples of other things they could be doing with that time and you show them that you're going to still encourage them to do those things, I think the automation starts landing a little bit, a little bit better. I will also say that based on the, the age of the employee, you get very different responses. Um, Somebody who's been very seasoned in their career and has been doing things the same way for a very long time, they're gonna tend to be less enthusiastic about making that change. But then you get someone who's new to the workforce who they can't fathom the idea of doing the exact same thing multiple times in a row. And to them, they're like, why didn't you do this sooner? (laughs) I'm wasting so much time doing these tasks. Yep. <laughs> so you're so you're right. It's a it's a balancing act. But I think that especially nowadays, my organization, we're still predominantly all working remotely. And I think that there's people that are more and more looking for opportunities to automate a lot of their daily tasks. So they really can be more focused on interacting and solving problems together and collaborating and less focusing on some administrative task that That isn't really adding tremendous value to the company.
0: Right. Right. Well, that's great. That's great. So with your job, you're making sure the company's technology strategy basically serves as business strategy. So with that, I'm guessing there's there's need to be a good partnership with between you, the CFO, the CEO, and the COO. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. We all meet very regularly and we have several planning sessions throughout the year where everybody will present their objectives as well as the overall company objectives. And from there, you know, I I exist to be a strategic enabler for the business. And I think that while it was never planned this way, I think that the handling a pandemic and being able to take an organization from being 95% in-person to 100% remote overnight, it really demonstrated to a lot of people what the capabilities were within technology, and how much technology is not one of those nice-to-have things. It can be a true differentiator if done right.
0: Right. Okay. And then you're also managing, and I'm guessing, are you managing areas from cyber cybersecurity to technology,
1: the whole gamut, anything okay. from from help desk and user experience to infrastructure and development cybersecurity, project management, really anything that touches or has an element of technology. And I forgot one of my bigger categories, all of our enterprise business applications. So our ERP, our CRM, all of the back-end tools that allow our employees to get work done. Wow.
0: All right. Definitely wearing a lot of hats doing all that. Let's back up a little bit though. Can you talk about what got you interested or involved in IT and in finance?
1: So when I was, I want to say roughly 12 or 13 years old, my dad got a new computer delivered to our house. And I remember everybody talking about how we were getting this $3,000 computer at the time, and this thing was going to bring all kinds of great opportunity, but I wasn't allowed to touch it because... (laughs) It was so expensive and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was a very curious kid. So I took that as somebody basically saying, well, you really should probably try to figure out how it works. And while my dad was at work, I took it apart and I started taking all the components out because I wanted to get an understanding of how they connected, why they worked the way they worked. For obvious reasons, my dad got home and he wasn't thrilled that I had done that. And um, he insisted that I find a way to get it back together. So I went to a local computer store that we had in Jacksonville and I walked in and showed them what I did. And they immediately, I mean, they thought it was pretty hilarious but they immediately started helping me put back together but then also explaining what all those components did. So they they were showing me exactly what I needed to see and teaching me what I went into this, why I did it in the first place. Fast forward a few months, they started letting me doing some volunteer work in their service department. And it was an interesting concept. They would buy equipment from customers, fix it up and resell it. So I was not old enough to be legally an employee, but I was old enough to be a volunteer that helped test out this equipment that would come in. And they would pay me by giving me computer parts And I started building my own computers and just became very passionate about technology in general. Um, I started working there about a year later when I was able to. (laughs) About a year after that, I was managing the service department. (laughs) And it was a very interesting experience as a high school job because it paid very well, especially when help desk services and end user computer services they were still very rare. It was hard to find an expert in that field right and and providers like the Geek squad didn't yet exist. So we had a very healthy business, and it was it was a fantastic experience.
0: Wow, that's a great story. And I'm guessing your dad forgave you after a while.
1: <laughs> he still laughs about it to this day because because <laughs> now he'll call me with some more basic computer problems. and it's it's an interesting shift when you start being the one doing the teaching versus getting the teaching. Right. (laughs) And then I'll tell one other story because I think it's an interesting one where I really got focused on cybersecurity and the technology aspect of it. Did you ever see War Games with Matthew Broderick?
0: Oh, yes, yes, yep.
1: So I watched that movie, probably similar timeframe to when I was taking apart the computer. Mm -hmm. And I was just so intrigued how he was trying to push the limits of a system. And if he knew that a system was designed to do X, he wanted to see what it would take to do Y. So um, there there was a, a magazine called 2600 Magazine and it was a very early hacking publication that was distributed in print. And I picked up a copy and I learned how to make one of the black boxes that could play the tones to the payphone and it would allow you to make a free long distance call. So, fourteen-year-old boy wow. has a black box that can play the call tones. Of course, I'm with my friends calling the most inappropriate phone numbers we can think of to call. But just seeing that a system was designed to do one thing, and I was able to figure out how it worked and tricked it into doing something else, it was very eye-opening to me. And I, I had a conversation with my mom one time where she said, "You know, you're almost 18, and some of these things that you're doing." If you're not careful, some of these things could be a big deal legally. (laughs) Pushing the limits of systems is one thing, but it really could get you in trouble if you're not careful about it. (laughs) And that was when I decided that I really did enjoy it so much that I had to find a way to make a career out of it. And that kind of got me on the path of technology with a cybersecurity focus.
0: Nice. Nice. Those are good stories, man. And now with the cybersecurity side of it, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on what's going on now with cybersecurity or lack thereof with some of these large corporations just getting hacked and having to pay these large sums to get their information back and having to pay it because it would be a lot more if they don't, I guess. A lot more uh, trouble, a lot more issues if they don't.
1: So it's interesting. So you take something like Colonial Pipeline. hmm What happened to them was definitely a, it was a targeted cyber attack. They were specifically going for an organization that they knew had the means to pay ransom. But what I found a little bit interesting, they went after their financial system Mm -hmm. and they took down their key financial system. They never had exposure to the operational system that would actually control the fuel pipeline. So the decision to take it down was more just from a decision of proactive, just in case they got there. But I think that we're going to continue to see more and more attacks like this because the second somebody pays the ransom, the person on the other end realizes it's a lucrative business opportunity. Right. And it's not necessarily sophisticated attackers that are executing these. Everybody hears the phrase software as a service and SaaS applications are taking over how we get things done. Well, I mean, this is ransomware as a service. They're going and they're, paying a third party to go do the hard work for them, the third party just takes a cut of whatever the ransom payment is. But I guess it's it's a long-winded way of saying so many of the ways that they're still effectively able to get in and they're able to wreak havoc on these systems, there's a lot of basic cybersecurity hygiene that isn't always followed as carefully as it should be. Right. You know, when I'm focusing on a security program or helping a company with their security posture, so much of what I go back to is the basics. When you have that Windows update pop up that says you have a critical security update ready to install, getting yourself in the habit of clicking it and installing it will do far more for you than investing in a fancy next generation firewall or a new tool. The basics in many cases would prevent many of these attacks. And I think we've reached an interesting place where people are getting desensitized to a lot of these attacks because you get the notice in the mail that your credit card information has been compromised and you're going to get a new number. And I think that as a consumer, you kind of know that if it does happen, there's not going to be a very bad outcome for you. It might be a little bit inconvenient, but chances are the credit card company has your back or you're gonna be able to get back whatever was taken. And I think that that's causing a lot of people to take that same attitude to their corporate environment. The difference being as an individual, you're not worried about your brand as much. You getting hacked and having your credit card number stolen is not gonna destroy your reputation in the industry. A large corporation getting hacked and having their data leaked or stolen, reputation in a lot of cases is all you have. So I think that as consumers are getting desensitized, I don't think that they're bringing their best security behaviors or that a great culture of security to their organization. And I think that until we can fix that, we're going to keep having more and more of these attacks and they're going to be successful.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I think what one of them, I can't remember if was colonial, but one of them I think it was an employee that was there for a long time that it was something simple, like not changing his password or, or something of that nature that got him in trouble.
1: hundred percent. And one thing that people don't realize, there's a website, haveibeenpwned.com, hmm. P-W-N-E-D. And you can go type in your email address and it will show you how many different websites and what websites your username and password have been compromised on. Wow. And so what people don't think about is, we always talk about how you have to change your password and you should use different passwords for different services. Human nature, people don't like remembering a lot of really long right. things. Right. So they're gonna use consistent passwords amongst these sites and services. Yeah. Or, or they'll have a pattern that, say you use the password, Paul one on one site, Paul three on another site, Paul four on another site. <laughs> Paul 1 and Paul 4 are part of a data breach. If I'm a bad actor, I'm pretty safe trying out Paul 2, Paul 3, Paul 6, Paul 7. So they're taking this data and they're taking all of the breach data and they're looking for patterns. And from there they're able to figure out your, your corporate password and your enterprise password. Yes. And yeah, it's become a game for for so many of these organizations. On the flip side, there's security teams who do the same thing. So every time there's another big breach and there's username and password data that's leaked. The first thing I do is look for any combination of my employees names and look for their personal email address and their work email address to see if they were part of the breach. And it then allows me to proactively say, guys, your data was compromised. I need you to change your corporate password and you should go change any sites where you use a similar password. So, A lot of my job is making sure that people understand how the decisions they make as an employee really can impact the overall organization.
0: Extremely important. Jeez. Oh. And then just curious about this. So do you think that the government should get involved in situations like this and make it illegal to pay ransom?
1: So I I have a lot of mixed feelings about that. First off, I don't understand, and I still have not been able to get a great explanation of how the federal agencies were able to intercept and recover that Bitcoin payment.
0: Right, exactly. So,
1: you know, they reclaimed approximately 3 million of the 5 million ransom payment. Something doesn't add up there. Um, 100%. You know, I'm, not a, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I don't have any crazy ideas about it, but it just, the whole concept of blockchain and Bitcoin in particular there should not be anybody who's able to intercept a transaction just based on how the network is designed. So it was quick. Yes, very quick. So I don't know what happened there. I do think though, just the fact that publicly it was stated that that was possible. I think that that's going to deter a lot of criminals before they're going to look for alternative payment methods. But to your question of if the government should get involved I think the value of there being a organized federal response is they can get that information and they can do information sharing of how the attack took place. So there's an organization, InfraGuard, which is a bridging of the FBI with private sector organizations. And it's all information sharing about these types of attacks and explaining what happened, what could have been done to prevent it and then advisories. So if there's a lot of attack activity that's taking place and it appears to be coming from a particular region of the world, there's information sharing advisory groups. They provide that information to parties in the private sector to act accordingly. So I see value in there being some potential government involvement there, but I don't necessarily think it's a need to have kind of thing. I do think that the federal government is taking a lot of notes right now yeah. and looking at what's happening. And I think that the silver lining of all of this, we are seeing where some weaknesses exist in our infrastructure. And I think that it's going to be the catalyst that we need to really start to enhance some of these systems and some of these vulnerable parts of our infrastructure ecosystem. Right. You see what could happen with a ransomware attack to a non operational system at a gas pipeline and cause gas prices to skyrocket, cause so much panic buying and fear in the industry. What happens when a power grid's taken out? Yeah. That's when you start getting to a zombie apocalypse kind of stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. Kind of similar to what happened to Ukraine.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when you think about it, all of these systems, when they were built, security was never something that you even thought about because when the first power systems were being created, the only way you could get to that system was physically sitting in that building. The second they started connecting all of these and making great innovations, smart grids have been fantastic because they allow you to see real-time consumption of your electricity, but that also means that your grid is now connected to the public internet
0: yeah. and
1: yeah. <laughs> it's now a potential target. Some of these questions that you're asking me, they're sending me down rabbit holes. So I apologize if I'm not staying on topic.
0: Oh, no, no, this is great. This is very interesting and intriguing. And so I definitely want to talk about that.
1: You know, I will say that my job is never boring because there's always some new tool or technology coming out. And there's also some new way, some new attack or some new hack type that's that's going to cause my data change in some way or another.
0: Right. Yep. Never boring and always in need. Well, and you know,
1: you know, so when it comes time for board of directors meetings, I can typically assume that whatever the topic that's in the wall street journal in the quarter leading up to my meeting, that's probably going to be the topic that the board is most interested in covering. So in my most recent board update a few weeks ago, Everybody wanted to understand ransomware and what we were doing to protect it and prevent it. So my topics and my focus areas changed throughout the year just based on current events.
0: Right. Yeah, that's interesting because I think maybe like 10 years ago when we think of chief information officers or CTOs or, or things of that nature, we, we would think of someone kind of sitting in their office and that's about it. But now, like we said earlier, you're the face of the technology side of the organization, you're meeting with clients and vendors and counterparties. And not only that, I would think any type of event or program or anything that the executives want to discuss as a merger or whatever, it's always gonna be involving technology. So if it's a merger, how things are gonna be compatible and and interrelated and how are we gonna get this to work or things of that nature. So it's so interesting to see how that job has evolved throughout the years.
1: Well, and 10 years ago, the role of IT was typically to say no. <laughs> the, role, the role of IT was to ensure that the company wasn't being exposed to risk. And IT always had the upper hand because it was hard. Getting some of these systems deployed and getting new technologies out there, it was a big ordeal. But over time, as tech has continued to advance, Now our users can, if they want to, they could go stand up a server faster than my IT team probably could. So, you know, it's caused you to really shift and recognize that if you want your users to do the right thing, you really have to be providing them what they need to get their job done. So, you know, gone are the days where IT is the no guy or IT is the roadblock. You know, IT is now the enabler that says, I understand you want to do this. Here's how we're going to accomplish it here's how we're gonna do it in a way that minimizes risk to the organization. And like you said, when it comes to a merger and acquisition, I would say, and this is a bold statement, but I would say 75% of the success of a merger and the integration is going to be driven by the technology experience and the ability to get the systems properly talking and ensuring that the users are still able to get their job done in an effective manner. Right. If we buy a West Coast organization who's all using Macs and they all have their own tool set and I pull them in and on day one, I say, well, now you're all using the Windows PC and Office, you're immediately going to have the workforce revolting and not wanting to be part of your organization. We always joke on my team that the first impression you get of the company is likely going to be. When you turn on your computer if it works or not and and the last impression you're going to get is how how your handoff is handled when you decide to leave the job so my team touches so much of that employee experience it's essential that we get it right
0: no you're right you're definitely right i like that how you put it like that problem solvers where uh, wherever technology can apply i like it yep. so can you talk about what a typical day of yours looks like
1: So it's a little bit tricky of a question because none of my days are the same. The consistent part of my day is I'm always learning and attempting to make decisions. So a lot of my job is pulse checking our employees and pulse checking my team to make sure that things feel right and that things are going right. And then making hard decisions. So a day, I'm always going to have my morning routine of having some coffee and catching up on whatever emails I might have missed overnight. It's interesting, you and I briefly talked about it earlier, but now that everything is remote, so much of us are feeling far busier than we ever did before. And I think a lot of that is kind of self-placed guilt. We're very fortunate in a lot of these professional careers that we're able to work remotely and that so much of our life while there was disruption we still have the stability of working your corporate job. And while I'm not physically going to an office anymore, you almost feel pressure to always be accessible. And it goes from a lot of my team, they previously were available nine to five and they were physically in the office. Now they're really enjoying that they don't have that commute, but it's causing people to feel like if they get a phone call at 8.30 PM, right. they have to answer it. Or if you get an email at 9.30, you have to answer it. So I think that my days are completely different. You know, now in the middle of the day, I'll probably have lunch with the wife or kids, maybe drive someone to and from camp, but then know that 6.30, I'm probably going to be checking in or helping out with some issue. So I guess the answer is it really depends. My my days tend to be full of all different types of activities, but the things that are consistent are a lot of conversations trying to solve problems, a lot of collaborating with individuals who have problems that there might be a technology solution. And I'm trying to help them get there.
0: Right, now with all that, In addition to that, you talked about how you're working with and managing cybersecurity help desk programmers, et cetera. You're dealing with outside vendors, all the different things that you do and all the different hats that you wear. Can you talk about what skills and characteristics are most important to be successful in what you do?
1: So I think one thing that it's commonly lost in the technology space, there's a struggle to effectively communicate amongst technology professionals. There's a lot of people who they speak the language, the tech language, and they've not been able to really translate that to business talk. I think that the people that I see really go far and really thrive in the technology world are people who understand that that we truly are enablers of the business, enjoying communicating with people because you're not going to be successful if you're not able to coax the problems out of people. You have to get them comfortable enough that you're all working together on trying to solve the same mission or the same problem, so they're willing to bring those problems to you. And also the ability to think logically. So many technology skills can be trained, but teaching how to be a logical thinker is a lot harder than a lot might think.
0: Makes sense. All right. And uh, so you talk about that, communicating with IT individuals and then as well as CFO and CEO, and then thinking logically. I know you had an undergrad degree in finance, and then you had a master's, I believe, in decision and information sciences yep. at University of Florida. Is that type of route you would think is typical for a CIO?
1: I think mine's pretty atypical. I think usually it's kind of flip-flopped. A lot will do an undergrad degree in information systems or computer science. And we'll then get an MBA or a similar degree that demonstrates the business capability. I was very, without sounding like I have too big of a head. I understood the technology stuff. I didn't need people teaching me or expanding my horizons on tech because I was doing that on my own for fun. I needed to get a better understanding of the business world and I needed to understand why finance would make a particular decision as well as starting to understand all the different factors that impact an organization's success. I went into finance thinking that I wasn't going to work in IT. I kind of thought IT would always be a hobby, but not necessarily where I made my living. But then I I realized halfway in that there's no getting away from something that you love. <laughs> right. <laughs> At, you know, University of Florida was pretty cool about it. They had these combined degree programs, where during my senior year of undergrad, I was actually taking all master's courses, and those gave me credit towards undergrad, but also credit towards grad. So I was able to just stay around for two semesters after I got my bachelor's and finish up with the master's. Nice. (laughs) That's very nice. All right. Now, and so all through college, I worked different system engineering jobs for the school, which works out really well because most jobs on campus, in addition to giving you a stipend, you tend to get tuition assistance as well. So it was nice coming out of the gate with no real student loans or no debt that I had to worry about, which is part of why I was always so passionate about, and we haven't talked about it much, but I've been very passionate about exposing people to these technology careers, especially people who wouldn't otherwise think that they were an option for them based on how they were raised or based on what they were exposed to growing up.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I love that about what you do. Now, can you talk about what you love about what you do?
1: So I love that every day I feel like that I'm helping somebody solve a problem. And it sounds cliche, but I really do think that the work that my team does makes people's lives better. I think that over the past year, so many people have been grappling with many different emotions and many different challenges they've never had to face before. And I like to think that I played a part in making that transition easier. And when people did have to start figuring out how to get their job done from a foreign place, um, you know, the work that my team has done has enabled them to do it without really feeling all that much pain or anguish. So it's, it's been a fun feeling knowing that I'm able to make people's lives easier and that I'm able to allow people to continue doing what they do and, providing them with that flexibility to be home when they needed to be home. When it comes down to it, I just, I love learning and I love solving problems. And it's a career where those two things never go away.
0: Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Definitely not learning all the time. And like I said earlier, you're a problem solver for all that you do in a technology space.
1: And you know, Uh, five years from now, if we had the same conversation, the themes would be the same, but the technology that, we use to accomplish those themes will be totally different. There will be, there will be some new big thing five years from now that we're having the same conversation about, but at the core, it's improving a user's experience or improving someone's experience through the use of some new technology.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting about your job where a lot of people, they're doing the same thing over and over again. There might be little changes here or there, but essentially they're doing the same thing every day where you, it's just constantly changing. Your space is ever changing. And so, like you said, that's something that you're passionate about and you love.
1: Well, and and I love seeing some of those tasks that people are doing that are either repetitive or for some reason just aren't a fun, exciting task. I love when I can watch somebody do a task that I know they just hate doing, Mm. and I find some way to either reduce the time it takes or some way to improve the accuracy and efficiency by either automating or adding some technology flair to it.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's huge. But I think any industry, continuous improvement or automation. Yep. Now, what about on the flip side, though? What type of challenges or obstacles do you have or what keeps you up at night?
1: So we talked about it a little bit before, but the bad guys don't sit there and say, I'm going to make this convenient for this guy. And I'm going to try to break in in the middle of the day while he's sitting at a desk. Um, You know, So many of the adversaries that are attacking our networks, they exist in different time zones and they're trying to attack your organization when you're not ready and when it's not convenient. So I'm always aware of whatever the threat of the day is. I'm just another person. And when I watch all of these news stories about the havoc that can be wreaked on an organization, I have to go sit there and read exactly what happened. Because I have to at least make sure that if it does happen to me, that I'm prepared to handle it and respond to it in the best way possible. And one thing that I think gets overlooked sometimes as an IT leader, I'm making decisions that are impacting a lot of lives. And if I make a bad decision, it's going to be felt by a lot of people. Um, There's not many things that I do on a day-to-day basis that if it's a terrible idea, it just impacts me. Um, So, you know, that does add a little bit of stress. Some of those decisions that I have to make when I think about the far reaching impact that could potentially have, it can keep you up at night. Every time I deploy something new or drastically change anything user experience related, I always have two or three weeks where I have a, a little tickle in my tummy, just yeah. waiting to waiting to see how it's going to be received and if it's going to work. And the last thing I ever want to hear is that I've reduced our ability to get something done or I've reduced the ability for our consultants to bill hours. And you never know because a bad decision really could do that.
0: Yeah, it seems obvious, but good to hear that from you because didn't even think about that. And think think, about what goes through the mind of someone having that pressure on you and all that's at stake.
1: And one thing that I always have to do, so I monitor all of the tools that people in my organization are using that aren't sanctioned. So if they're going to a website that provides a service that I don't provide, I need to figure out why, because that means that there's some gap in the services that I'm currently providing them. Um, But the last thing that I want is to them go use something that is inherently insecure or might jeopardize our risk. So, you know, I'm constantly having to look and see, not only is what I'm providing working, am I providing everything that's needed? Well, but, no. you know, I, but, but I will say that I think that if you're passionate about technology, while there are some big daunting challenges, sometimes it's still really exciting to see the impact that these things that you do, do have on your organization. Yes. Yeah, it's like me and a couple of my coworkers, we joke that a pandemic is kind of one of those things that in technology you always train for because you're always testing your business continuity and resiliency plans. Nobody ever expected that we would have to have the biggest test of our lives and to see if all these things that we thought we had in place, to see if they actually worked. It was kind of like, the marathon last year where IT really had its chance to shine. And they did. Oh, <laughs> you know, we, we we still have a lot of work to do, but it's been a good experience.
0: Yeah, definitely has. I mean, it's shown throughout the States that we can work from home. We can work from home. It seems seamless on the outside for a lot of us that transition to working from home.
1: Well, um, I think that we pushed everybody to have a conversation that they weren't previously ready or comfortable to have. Mm-hmm. If you take a lot of more senior seasoned professionals who have been doing this for a long time you assume that if somebody's not there they're not being productive right and there were not many people who were willing to take that gamble and test it out but when you're forced to you really see what works and what doesn't work and that's one of the fun tasks that i'm working on at work right now we're putting together what our future ways of working should look like so we've stopped using the past as our destination we're trying to go forward and give our employees the experience that is the future. You know, we have a chance to reinvent the way things are done and the way that we work. And the minute that we stop talking about how do we return to normal, and we acknowledge that normal is not our destination, it has completely changed that journey. And it's been a much more enriching experience.
0: Nice. All right. Now, can you talk about any memorable moments that happened in your career that stick out to you?
1: Yeah, so in 2018, I was nominated for Georgia CIO of the Year, and it was on the tail end of a pretty massive digital transformation we had done within the organization, streamlining the way that we got our work done, bringing a bunch of disparate systems together to start providing one cohesive way of working to everybody, and then I ended up winning. So. 2018 large enterprise, Georgia CIO of the year, which is something I definitely never thought I would accomplish. And it just goes to show how fantastic of a team I have. And it was very fun being up there and seeing the work that we had put in was being appreciated and recognized.
0: That is awesome. Wow. CIO of the year for a state, Georgia, congrats on that.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was, it was pretty fantastic. Nice. And it, it was funny too. I got a phone call from the coordinator of the event on the, they do the award show and you truly don't know if you won or not. But they called me that morning and said, Hey, Paul, we want to make sure that you know that your wife's allowed to attend. And that should have been a clue to me that something might be up. Um, <laughs> but that was a very fun day. <laughs> Nice. And also, you know, what we,
0: we briefly spoke about this, but just wanted to touch on this. You do a lot of work exposing people to the industry, exposing a lot of people that might not have been exposed to this industry before. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you do?
1: Yeah. So there's an organization. It's a Catholic high school that's in Atlanta. I think they're they're all around the country, but I've partnered up with the one in Atlanta. And every year, I help out students with their tuition to go to this school and they're all from underserved and underprivileged communities. And in exchange for helping out with the tuition, they work as an intern for me. So it allows me to expose individuals from underserved communities to really see what's possible. And a lot of these individuals, they show up and they don't have the computer in their home and they never thought a technology career was a possibility. Because if you don't grow up with it and you don't see it, you really don't get that curiosity. So I partner with them and quite a few of of the interns that I've had have ended up going into technology careers, which has been really exciting. We actually have one from a class a couple of years ago that I'm hoping that he ends up wanting to come work for me full time after he gets through college. But I'm always looking for different ways that I could expose people to really to the space because... Technology is a field that there are a lot of individuals who are underrepresented. There's a lot of different sectors of the population that just, for some reason or another, don't end up in technology careers. And I can't solve the problem, but I can definitely contribute to the fix.
0: Well, you definitely are. So these underrepresented individuals in that space, I think three reasons why they're underrepresented is, one, they just don't have that exposure to the industry where they are. Uh, two, I feel like they just don't have those personal connections right. uh, as well in the industry. And three, if they do, a lot of time one of the first questions they always ask when you are trying to get an internship or a full-time job is, what's your experience? And they don't have any. So what you're doing right, right now, I think, is checking all three of those boxes for them, where they're getting that exposure to the industry, they're getting the connections with you and everyone else at your job, and then also putting that on their resume. So, and getting paid. So I, I this, is, this is unbelievable and, and I, I think it's so great. So kudos to you for this.
1: And, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, our students, they always join and they're nervous. They've never been in a corporate environment. And one of the things that I make all of them do, I make them find one of our other senior leaders introduce themselves and get an answer to some question. And that way I know that they actually went and they had the conversation, but it forces them to go into a a safe, but uncomfortable situation that hopefully in the future makes them realize that your title doesn't matter. Everybody's a person. And at the end of every session of our interns, one of the things I always leave them with is if you don't already have a LinkedIn account, I want you to go create one and send me a connection request because you'll be exposed to different people based on my network yep. and I want all of them to embrace that.
0: That's so great. Yeah, I love it. And I love you getting them to introduce themselves and, and basically getting that confidence that's really needed and can help them get to the next step and just open up and get them exposed more. Right? They're there. Yeah. That's so great. So Paul, hey, we're at the End of this interview, I want to head over to this quick hitter session where I'll be asking you questions for fun. But before we do that, I want to see if there's anything additional that you would like to talk about or anything you might have felt like I should have asked you and didn't ask you.
1: No, I think we I think we covered a lot of topics that I was hoping to cover. And then we covered some that I didn't plan on going to. And <laughs> um, no, I think, I, I think it's been a, a fun chat.
0: Great. Great. All right. Well, let's head over to this quick hitter session. So first question, what's your favorite sports team?
1: Florida Gators.
0: All right. Are they in the College World Series?
1: So I guess I should preface that with college football, Florida right. Gators. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't follow all of the other sports quite as much.
0: Right, okay. <laughs> I,
1: I will I will say living in Atlanta, it's been very exciting following the Hawks recently.
0: Oh, man, yeah. Yep. Trey Young is looking nice, man.
1: It's, it's fun to watch.
0: <laughs> favorite movie or show?
1: Favorite movie, probably the original Matrix.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, show changes based on whatever's whatever's fun. Right now, my favorite show is, it's a silly one, but I really love the show Lucifer.
0: Oh, okay. I keep meaning to check that out. It's always, it's been in my queue.
1: It's fun character development for sure.
0: Mm. Oh, Back to sports. Are you excited to see Tebow in the NFL?
1: I I hope he comes out and I hope he's successful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard because he he was fantastic. Uh, I was there when when he was playing. Nice. So it was very fun to watch. But you know, I've seen I've seen some success and some failure when he's tried a couple different things. So I'm right. I'm, I'm excited to see. I hope it I hope it's a great experience.
0: Cool. All right. Favorite musical artist or group.
1: <sighs> that's a hard one. <laughs> Probably Radiohead. Mm, yeah, nice. Um, you know, Radiohead was a concert that I, I got to see a couple years ago in Atlanta. And it was one of those shows where you left and you just felt like you experienced something. It was very, very good show. A couple of their albums are ones that I could put on in the background and forget that I'm listening to music. Yeah. <laughs> but But I'm also very into musical theater, which I think is is atypical for my profession Uh, so there's always a different i i listen to anything from crazy rap to musicals to anything you could imagine
0: nice sound like me (laughs) Uh, favorite vacation spot
1: uh i like going to all-inclusives in mexico yeah you know where i don't have to make any decisions (laughs) you know we talked about it so much of my life is making decisions and then seeing what the result is. Mm-hmm. If I go to an all-inclusive and the hardest decision I have to make is what I want to order to drink at lunch, it's it's a good trip.
0: You know, I was the opposite for a long time, and I, I guess I st- still am, but um, I would, whenever I go somewhere, I had to go out, explore and eat where the natives eat and and party where they party and, and things of that nature. But a few years ago, I went to an all-inclusive in Mexico, and it was awesome. It was awesome, just like you're saying, just just laying down there, relaxing, having your margarita, whatever it is, and it, it was a good time.
1: Well, and I think that different trips serve different purposes. Right. So right. if I'm going to truly relax, that's where I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, if, if I do want to sightsee, um, like my wife and I, we went to Italy, and yeah. we went uh, Rome and Florence, and I mean, we were go, go, go. We saw everything we needed to see. Yeah. Um, but you you finish a trip like that and you're not rested. Right. You're, you need a vacation from your vacation.
0: Right. No, I get it. <laughs> All right, favorite food or drink?
1: I really like chicken wings. <laughs> like really enjoy chicken wings.
0: Any particular place you
1: go for chicken wings? I am, I'm always looking for the best new spot, um, you know, from a consistent, good experience, we have a restaurant chain here called taco Mac.
0: Okay.
1: They pretty consistently give a good wing, but you know, a wing has to be crispy. Yeah. (laughs) But not not dry. And I think a lot of people, they just, they can't hit that mark. Yeah. (laughs) There, there, there is one restaurant that I feel like deserves a shout out called us cafe that okay. um man their their wings are fantastic
0: i need to check that out and this is in atlanta right yep. yep okay i need to check that out okay well hey paul i just want to say this is this has been great interviewing you learned a lot. It was really interesting talking about this topic. And I just love your passion for what you do, just the impact you have on your organization, how you, you mentioned earlier, just making the transition easier for your, your employees and making it more efficient and effective in what they do. I love it. And you know, just congratulations on all that you've done being Georgia's CIO of the year. That's awesome. Congratulations on all you've done. Keep doing it. And thank you so much for coming on to this podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a good time.
0: Yeah, no problem. And if people want to reach out to you, is there any way that they can?
1: Yeah, uh, LinkedIn um, or anyone's welcome to email me. You can just email paul at northhighland.com. And I will happily talk to anybody about technology.
0: Great. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. Have a good one. Thank you, you too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.